You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Are we recording? Oh, fabulous. <laughs> and you're listening to The Magnet Theater. Are you ready to start talking? Yeah, yeah, sure. Fabulous. Uh, I'm Lewis Kornfeld, your host. Thanks for joining us today. I'm speaking with the great Jerry Cole. It's me. Thanks for being here, Jerry. Uh, thank you for having me. We were just talking about airplanes and anxiety and yeah. and, and layovers and, yeah. and controlling emotions. Is it my understanding that you like to travel a lot? Um, I do. I love to travel. I, I hate the physical act of traveling. Like, I cannot turn my head off uh and so by that i mean i am well aware of the fact that i'm like carting my body thirty thousand feet into the air and taking it to another place on the planet which feels like a very unnatural thing to do yeah and then just setting it down like nothing's wrong um so i hate that whole process but i love landing in new places i love i like once i hit the ground i'm good i'll be like even if what language do they speak? Cool, cool. I'll pick it up. Like, <laughs> just like run around. Like, what do we need? Okay, great. Let's go do this. Like, are you spontaneous? Are you like the kind of person who will decide? I haven't been anywhere in a while. Let me just go online and buy two tickets to you know whatever. Let's go to New Zealand and see what's what. Um, I used to be. I don't know that I am as much anymore. Uh, I feel maybe a little bit settled, um, but I, I definitely used to be. I, I certainly. Um, uh, like especially now when I do travel and I like I th- maybe this is just get getting older and I you know get the, like making lists of like the things that I'm gonna need and I you know organizing and buying tickets and checking schedules and I'll remember like the last time I you know or like when I went to this place when I was 25 I had a phone number on my non-smartphone and then I got on the plane <laughs> and I was and it was fine yeah. you know what I mean so I think there was a period where I was just sort of like let's sure you know like not where I had zero plans, but now I think I've, I've, I don't know, gotten older and uh, yeah. crudgetier and married. Yeah. And married. Yeah. I bet that makes a difference. Yeah, it does. It, cause now it feels like, I think also, you know, like before I was married, it, it didn't matter where I ended up essentially. And now it's like, no, someone's looking for me. I can't yeah. just take off. Yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to understand the psychology of this a little bit because okay. I'm so different <laughs> in nature. It take I have such a I have like a 2 week decompression time whenever I go into a new environment. Okay. It takes me that much time to to finally feel comfortable and start to to come out of my shell. I just yeah. carry I carry I carry like a shell with me wherever I go You're and, a turtle. and I retreat. I am yeah, I am yeah. kind of like a turtle. And like if it weren't for Megan being so energetic and so adventurous, I would literally just stay in whatever hotel room I was in. And, <laughs> and, and, and like, I would never, I, I'd be like perfect on the road as a stand up comedian. Nice. Yeah. I have, the, I have the kind of thing. So, so it, does it like, do you get jazzed by the organization of that stuff? The list making and the prioritizing? Is, um, the, is that part of the appeal of it? No, I think, I think that that's maybe a part of, um, because at this, I, I think it, it's just a part of getting older. Because I think at this point now, having had a certain number of experiences, like I know what I enjoy better and what I don't, and can anticipate those things better. So it's sort of like, let me just set myself up for success in this trip and like not, you know, fly by the seat of my pants. Since I know I enjoy this thing, I know I would prefer this. Yeah. So let me, you know, like get that all sorted so I can do that when I go rather than I think before I. You know, I, I didn't know, which is the, so I think always my driving force behind the like spontaneousness was always like you never know until you do it. So yeah. 
I would always just wander, which is great. I'm a big advocate of wandering. Um, but now I, I think after so much wandering, I'm like, eh, I know what's around that corner. I'm yeah. just going to go this way instead. What have you learned by doing it? Like, what, what do you seek out now when you travel? Um, food. Yeah. Um, food. Uh, I really like architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, good weather. Uh, I, I, I like, in, or I enjoy feeling like I've made a true departure from things that I know. Cause I feel like that's the best part about traveling is that, um, uh, it teaches you so much about yourself. Um, be, because I, I think sometimes, you know, like when you're in your own environment, you, it's the environment you created. So it's like, you know, it's a reflection of all the things that you've sort of laid out. But when you put yourself in a, a new and foreign environment, it reflects different things back to you. So it's yeah. suddenly like, Oh, I didn't know that about myself, you know, and, uh, that's something I, I really value about traveling. Um, so I, I think I always try to find places that feel like a true departure. Um, and, you know, like culture, like people, I, you know, I like to people watch, uh, you know, I just want to sort of like, like I actually am a horrible tourist. I will, you can, like I do not care about going to see whatever the monument is. Mm-hmm. I would much rather just sit in a cafe in the wherever place and just like people watch and like order something and eat. And, that makes you know. sense to me. Yeah. I, be, be, well, because going to see the monuments, not that there's, I mean, there's nothing against going to see the monuments, yeah. but, th- but there's something almost like you're taking that familiar thing with you to this new place. You're, yeah. you're just, you're getting that, you're getting that textbook experience of the place. You're getting the predigested thing. Yeah. Uh, um, w- w- it, which is kind of like staying home in that way of like, well, you're surrounded by what you already know. Exactly. You're, you're not having to be challenged by new perceptions or, or, or new, new stimulation. Yeah. So I totally, and, and sitting in like a cafe, it's very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it to me, that's just more about getting the feel of a place, like really, really letting the spirit of a place in, letting the electricity of a place, you know, just kind of like hit your nerve endings. Yeah. That seems much better. Yeah. And I feel like it allows for unexpected experiences, you know, like I've certainly been places and just sort of hanging out and like, you know, you strike a bus, somebody asks you something or, you know, and then they tell you about this thing that's going on and then you're like, well, I don't have any plans. So I guess, I'll, you know, like I feel like it, it allows room for um, f- you know, for good wandering. Yeah. Yeah. Are you good at engaging people? Um, I think so. I think it, uh, yeah, I think so. I think I've, I've always been a people person. Um, I've always been really outgoing. Um, and I, and I used to, <laughs> maybe I, I shut it off. I think actually living in New York has changed me a lot. Um, I, I used to be the kind of person that always attracted whoever was talking like I like I cannot help it and like will always give my attention you know whenever whenever there's anyone in the vicinity like looking for attention I'll always be like what you can have it what uh-huh. are you what are you doing um and but now living in New York I've gotten much better at, like putting blinders on and being like no I just need to get to where I'm going there's um, just not enough psychic energy in the world there to, really to isn't away. yeah there really isn't um but I used to be uh really good at uh you know, giving that attention away because it, I always, because I think people are fascinating. I, again, I like, I really enjoy people watching. And so it was always just sort of like, oh, well, I just get to view and like interact with this person now. And that's what's going on with you. You know, yeah. sort of, it seemed like a study in a way. Yeah. Yeah. What are like places that come to mind that have been partic- like nice discoveries for you? Nice discoveries is for myself. Yeah. Like, ha- have you been to places where you had, 
either no expectations or low expectations and, and you kind of had like you came away from it really glad to have visited or 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 having had like having taken a left turn you didn't expect that uh, oh. um let's see i uh i always try in general to not have any expectations when traveling because i feel like that's the quickest way to have a bad time hmm. um because then you're never going to meet whatever your expectations are um and then and then you're closing yourself off to other opportunities um i think the the place that I've traveled um, that changed or like I had the biggest experience, I, I lived abroad for a year and that um, changed me greatly, uh, which I'm very glad for. Um, and so I think that whole experience uh, was uh, super challenging and uh really made me feel like I was capable of doing anything after that. Where were you? I was in Barcelona. And for high school? No. <laughs> um, no, I just moved. I just moved. Uh, it was like after college. Um, and I had I lived in Texas for a little while. I lived back in Baltimore for a little while. And I just wanted something else. And I had never been to Europe before. And I saw pictures, and Barcelona looked nice, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to move there. <laughs> Which is, this is, again, like the great thing about, um, uh, I, I'm naive by nature, and I think that this was a blessing in a way, because it was, I would have never, had I thought that, you know, like, been, thought it through, I would have been like, this is obviously a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, it's just so like, I'm going to go. Uh, so I, yeah, moved to Barcelona for a year. And- naive by nature is like a really perfect place to be though like i feel like you know like your body ages one way but your spirit ages a different way like mm. a, i think a person's soul ages and it's not necessarily in sync with with what your body's doing and so mm. much of it has to do with just like your your expectations mm. you you can just like you wear expectations around all the time and they like tire you out it, it, it like having expectations in general start to feel like like wearing your clothes after you just like fell in the pool. It's, it's very heavy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that it like tires you out spiritually to walk around wearing like heavy wet clothes like that. Yeah. That's a I good th- analogy. Yeah. It, that's how it feels though. Cause yeah. like, I think that's part of why I have a hard time traveling. I'm, I'm uh-huh. a very optimistic, easygoing, nice person in my regular daily life. Yeah. But transplant me into a different environment and all of my pessimism comes out and it takes two weeks for that pessimism to, to dissipate. Wow, why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I, I especially since you're aware of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think like, I think I'm, uh, I'm a little nervous around other people. I think I'm a little okay. nervous of just like the world in general. Yeah, it's I, scary. I, yeah, I, get, I think I'm. I think I'm that type of personality. I, yeah. you know, I think that that was probably the kind of kid that I was, and 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 so that's sort of like the background noise of my mind. It can be challenged, and it yeah. can change. It, but it takes me two weeks. Yeah. And I certainly carry around like lots of negative expectations all the time <laughs> that, that like weigh it down. But the other thing is like familiarity with stuff, like overthinking stuff and, and being really familiar and, and, and kind of like knowing too much Yeah, it starts to kind of like jam up your, it, 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 it like it coats over your perceptions. Yeah. And I, I feel that like an ability to perceive new things an ability to, to kind of, to to be um to really discriminate what's around you. Yeah. 
uh, uh, and sense the different flavors and energies that are around you. That's yeah. part of what keeps your soul young and healthy and alive. And I think like a, a certain kind of like naivety is is very basic to that. Yeah. So there's something really hope- amazing about pursuing that and yeah. just like okay, let's be in a new place for a year. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was really great. It um, it yeah it was had I thought it through would have been clearly been ill-advised since I knew no one there yeah. did not speak the language um, and was just like I'm gonna go so, um, so I want to ask what do you do when you don't know anybody and you don't speak the language like you get off the plane what do you um, do well the smartest thing I did was before I went I signed up to get certified to teach English as a foreign language mm-hmm. um, and that course was a month and in Barcelona so okay. that gave me a cushion okay. uh, so I landed I had a place to stay I had a, a immediate um like network of people who were doing the same thing I was doing. I mean, they weren't all moving to Spain, but they were all in this class. You know, like I suddenly had a, a group of people to talk to and a place to stay. Yeah. And that was crucial. Um, and so I did that for the first month. Um, and then it was like the holidays. Um, so the school, you know, like no new students were coming to the school. So the, they were like, you can stay in the, you know, with the, I was staying with this family, this, uh, uh, Catalan woman and her, her daughter and another English, uh, girl was staying there who was also taking the course with me. Um, and so they were like, you can stay through the holiday. And, and then after that, I was, you know, having problems, uh, finding work and finding a place to live. Um, so I went back to the school and they were like, well, we can't help you find work because you're not certified or you're not, you don't have a visa. Um, it's, it's very hard to get a visa, especially because the EU and they could just hire an English person to do it. So as an American, it's hard to get a visa to teach English. Um, but because no one wanted to do the paperwork essentially. Um, but they were also like, well, we can give you, there's this, we can help you find an apartment. Like we have this, we have a bunch of apartments cause this is how we put the people up for, you know, the students who are coming to study. So try, try this place. This guy sometimes takes teachers for us. And so I ended up going and living with that guy for a little while um, and he was great. And through him, I met another, you know, woman. And then that's sort of how, like, my friends circle grew. And I eventually ended up, you know, moving into a couple different apartments and found work, like, piecemeal, you know. I don't even, like, how did you find work back then? Online, I guess. But, like, it was still, everything was, you know, it was like 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I get, obviously, the internet was around 2005, but it, you know, like... You had to text somebody with a computer and ask them to do something <laughs> Exactly. I was definitely in a computer lab. I definitely did not have a laptop. Yeah. I definitely was in uh, locatorios, which were, like, little, uh, like, you telephone, uh, like, long-distance telephone booths and or computer cafes, like, uh-huh. internet cafes. I was definitely in a lot of internet cafes. Um, and, like, trying to look up jobs and getting a number and writing it down in my journal and calling, you know, like... It was a very desperate time, um, but it was great, which is why, again, like I've, after that experience, I felt like I could do anything. Yeah. And moving to New York felt like a cakewalk um, because it was just like, I can work legally. I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm super grateful for that experience. Can I ask you a, st- a stupid and embarrassing stupid yeah, question? Yeah, of course. When you teach English uh, in a foreign country yeah. and you don't speak the language, yeah. How does how do you go about doing that? Um, well, that's something actually. Uh, it's not a stupid question. Um, it is, uh, I think, a matter of um, a, like I think there's two schools of thought. One is it is helpful that for you to speak the language so that you can sort of explain things. But another in the school that I went to, um, their school of thought was that it's actually better that you don't speak the language because then you can't use that as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, like depending on the language level of the learner, um, things are just real basic. You know what I mean? Like. You, you, the more I talk, and that was a part of it also, though, which is why they wanted um, 
native speakers is because the more I, as I'm trying to teach this class, I'm still also speaking native English. Mm -hmm. And so they're having to learn to understand me whilst also doing whatever the activity or lesson was. So is there like a, like a mirroring each other thing that takes place? Like you just start to kind of like a little bit. I definitely, my English, the way I speak English changed a lot while I lived there. Um, I don't know if I still have it actually. Maybe I do. And it's embarrassing. Um, but I, but especially now, whenever I speak to someone who's English, I can tell English is their second language. Mm. My speech pattern will change, and it, I get very enunciated, and mm. I sort of like, in that way, like uh, try and make sure that they can understand through my, you know, gestures and and uh, movement, like what I'm trying to say. I get yeah. very, it's it's maybe rude actually. Now that I think about it, I, 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 I'm curious about that. I don't know if it is rude or not. I. I don't speak any other languages, but I have that thing where, like, I know the correct pronunciation of certain words, yeah. but then when I'm speaking with a native, with a native, with a person where that's their native language, yeah. I don't use the correct pronunciation. I yeah. use, I use, uh, um, uh, my, my American sounding <laughs> because it seems like the ruder thing is to, is to speak in that person's way. Yeah. But then as soon as I don't do that, I feel like, no, that was the rude choice yeah. i don't i don't know what the right answer is yeah. it, it both ways feel rude <laughs> yeah. it feels like i know the way to 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 uh to attenuate these syllables right but it feels somehow like i'm i'm being like kind appropriating of you yeah. somehow or something yeah. it's like so i'm not going to do that yeah but then it sounds like i'm being deliberately yeah uh, uh you know what i mean like obtuse to you and it's yeah. just like oh god it's horrible. both ways are embarrassing yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah i don't I, I don't know. I, tr- I I at least check, I think, catch myself now if I do find that I'm doing it. And yeah. then I'll I'll call it out. So then it's just like, well, at least we're all aware. It's embarrassing for yeah. me. Okay. Have you in um, like an improv class or, or, or any place, have you ever done like gibberish exercises? I don't think so. Uh, an improv show, once I played Chewbacca. Okay. That and, counts. Yeah. I, I uh, spent the entire show. Speaking in Chewbacca talk. That certainly counts. Yeah. yeah. It, it's something that I used to hate. And then in the last couple of years, I've, I've grown to really love and, and I make it like an important part of most of my classes. Huh. Because there's something exciting. You get excited about the ability to communicate with each other again. Mm. Conveying one thought to another person, using your body language to express yourself, when they actually understand what you're talking about and are able to express it, that they understand it, you feel like a small victory. Yeah, and that's like another thing that I, I kind of feel like if you don't periodically take take some time to like talk with people who don't speak the way that you speak, or, yeah. You become like your knowledge of words and your assumption that everybody that you're talking to understands what you're talking about becomes another thing that just like spiritually ages a person. I'm convinced of it. It's like never leaving your apartment and just being surrounded by familiar territory all the time. There's something about it that kind of is quietly deadening to you. I agree. It's it. So so having that like small victory when you communicate to somebody like. Oh yes, you can have a sip of my beer, and they get it. It's just like <laughs> yeah. you feel like a million bucks. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I feel like um, well, one, I I used to, um, and it, maybe I still do. Uh, I at times don't like to speak, and will just sort of you know like because you know sometimes like at least one day a week I need to turn off yeah. and just like not, and so you know I will just either not speak and or just like 
grunts and like, ah, you know, that's, I speak in a lot of sounds actually. Um, cause I feel like they maybe convey more accurately, whatever it is I'm trying to say. Um, and yeah, I think that's a really good point that if you don't continue to challenge yourself to communicate with people outside of your experience, uh, on a somewhat regular basis, you're, you're losing, you're, you're losing and out. Yeah. Yeah. I, the image that comes to my mind, and this is probably ludicrous, but it, uh, you know, like those like changeling fairy tales where they replace one baby with another baby that looks the same, but it's not yeah. really your baby. Yeah. I kind of feel it's like if terrifying. you, it's very, it's very <laughs> scary. I, I feel like if you just sit around in your own apartment for too long and just talk to the same people for too long and, and never, never change up your diet of perceptions and experiences, there's almost like a, a kind of like mental changeling that happens. It's like who you really are yeah. is taken away one day and replaced by a facsimile that looks an awful lot like you, yeah. but you just kind of, it's not you. It's not like a living person. It's yeah. like a, it's like a, that's what it feels like to me. You huh. got, you gotta, you gotta have those experiences, which to me, frankly, are, are very anxiety producing experiences, yeah. traveling, meeting new people, introducing yourself to new people, having adventures, taking unexpected risks yeah. because it keeps you, it keeps all those things alert and fresh and it kind of keeps your soul and your body together as one package. Yeah. That's yeah. Tr- yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, um, it, it's super important. That was actually one of the things that uh, made me start taking improv was, it was like, oh, I find this terrifying. Well, looks like you have to do it now because <laughs> you know, you, you should keep, uh, challenging yourself in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, otherwise you just turn into a shell. What was that? There was this animated short. Oh God, it was so great. Andy's going to get so mad. I can't remember the title. Uh, it just, it was nominated for an Oscar. Was this just on Netflix? Yes. What's it called? You know what I'm talking about? It's I think so I do. Good. Was it, was it like the clone? Yes. It was, now I'm blanking. Uh, it was amazing. Yes. It was so good. That's what it, I just thought about how yeah. the, it was like, uh, the clone of herself yeah. from a thousand years later came back to talk to her. Yeah. We're going to have to Google this before the end of the episode. Um, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So good. What an amazing case. <laughs> but that's what I was just thinking. It's like, oh, that's maybe that's what that was about. It, that it short was brilliant. World of Tomorrow. World of Tomorrow. Yes. It was just on Netflix. Well so worth checking good. out. It's like 13 minutes long, yeah. but it's, it's really beautiful. You're, and you're going to want to watch it like five times. For or sure. Or several times. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, uh, so you moved to New York, and New York is a cakewalk after a year in Barcelona. Yes. Uh, what brought you to the Big Apple, the the, the city that never sleeps? <laughs> um, I Well, I didn't have anything else better to do. <laughs> so That's <laughs> general uh answer uh the actual answer is i i was um living in barcelona and i was loving living in barcelona um but i was very very poor mm. like very poor um and so that was fine barcelona is actually a great place to be poor in um but it came uh it came to my realization that i was like never gonna see my family again um, and I, my sister just had a baby and it was just sort of like this, I, I mean, I guess I, I could maybe try and make a go of it and like find legitimate work and get papers and like do all that. But, and then like, and so then maybe in five years I can afford a plane ticket to fly home, but like I'll, otherwise I'm like really never going to see my family. Um, and so I was like, all right, I just, I have to move back to the States. Like this was great, but I, I can't build a life here if I'm never going to see my family. Um, and so I had some friends who'd moved to New York, um, and they were just sort of like, fucking move to New York already. Like, what are you, you've been like, come on. Like, we all know you're going to move to New York. And I was like, all right, fine, I guess I'm moving to New York. Um, and uh, so then, yeah, I came 
Uh, I had a friend of a friend who was like moving to Brooklyn and needed a roommate. And so it all sort of lined up actually pretty perfectly. Um, she was brilliant. Uh, she is brilliant rather. Uh, and it was just, it, I, just, everything clicked. I literally walked out. I came with a duffel bag. I walked out, put my duffel bag down, uh, walked out uh, the first day, uh, walked into a coffee shop, got a job. Hmm. <laughs> it was just like, all right, I guess I live in New York now. <laughs> like, just and kept it moving. I've been very fortunate yeah. since I've been here, yeah. You're from Baltimore originally? From Columbia, Maryland. Columbia, Maryland, yeah. okay. Uh, um, uh, really general question, but what's the different vibe between the two places. oh very very different i uh in fact i do a, uh i at the griot show and actually i'm bef- i did another show where i told the story about columbia Columbia is a very special place or at least it was when i was growing up uh i, I maybe i can't speak for it now but um so columbia maryland is a planned community mm-hmm. um this is how it's different from baltimore city um it was designed in the like late uh 1960s early 70s uh to be uh uh, sort of like a utopia of sorts, and it uh, w- wanted to promote racial and economic integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was designed. It's a whole city that was designed to promote racial and economic integration, which is a, a pretty significant thing, especially in that time period. Even now, it's pretty fucking significant. Yeah. Um, and so what that means is it was like designed in a series of villages, um, and each one of the village uh, villages has like a, a middle school, an elementary school, high school. It has million dollar homes. It has subsidized homes. It has an interface center because there's no churches or synagogues. It's only one place for everyone to go worship. So it has this like, and everything, all these different villages are connected with paths. So like as a kid, like we used to just, I mean, this is also again, maybe the, the time, but like we would just leave our house and just walk around the town because you could, you know, through the paths, go to all these different neighborhoods and be gone all day. And it was fine. Like my parents never worried. Like we were just always outside, always walking around this town by ourselves, like three little girls, which now that I think about it, it feels crazy. Um, but it, it felt fine. You know, it was just sort of like, I always had like mixed race friends. There was always like interracial day, like all of those things that I think once I left uh, Columbia, became like I was like oh this is a thing this is like people are gonna this is like a thing for people and because mm-hmm. you know at the time growing up it was like it's not a thing is it a thing <laughs> it's not a thing you know like it felt very cool. I feel very fortunate to yeah. have been raised in that way um during that time period um very fortunate actually yeah, yeah. who planned that community uh this guy named James Rouse mm-hmm. who's actually the like great-great-grandfather of Edward Norton Wow. Um, who Edward Norton is also from Columbia, Maryland. Though he claims New York City, I think, but he's technically from uh, Columbia, Maryland. Yeah. And um, yeah, he just had a ton of money, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and like bought up all this land in between Baltimore and DC in Howard County and was like, this is what I'm doing. Started a trust. And now the, the town is, I think, still run by the trust. I'm, now I'm actually talking about things that I don't know. But, um, and, but the trust, again, was like, had, as I understand, had like, this much has to be designated green space. Like this has to be designated, you know, mixed use space. Mm-hmm. This has to be, you know, like they were always trying to design things to uh, foster community yeah. essentially, which is really amazing. Yeah. There, a lot of planned communities um, end up backfiring mm. because they end up segregating people and end up having, it, it, there isn't the intermeshing of like going from one place to another and along the way encountering uh, 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 a different like you don't like 
pass a bar on your way to this store and in the bar see your friends inside and stop in and talk with them. There isn't like a mingling thing. Mm. A lot of planned communities end up, they think that just putting a big park in the middle of a place is enough to get people together. Mm. And then oftentimes those parks become like hotbeds of, of uh, like territoriality and people stay the hell away from the parks. It's, sounds like this was a really well-designed yeah. community. Yeah, it, it really, it really was, or it is still, I, I, you know, I, I like to think it still functions in this way. It's maybe not as safe as it was when I was growing up, yeah. but, um, I, I think it still, uh, has like the cultural and economic mix that yeah. it, it did before. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure like what, and maybe it was just something as simple as the layout, like the connecting paths, the different villages, and each a village having like sort of its own, you know, like it had like a collection of mom and pop stores and then, you know, like that kind of deal, maybe like, or a swimming pool and, and some had tennis courts. And so you sort of like, everything felt like yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think like the coexistence of different classes of people is another really big part of it too yeah it, be, because like i don't know it, you don't like hate each other so much when you see each other on a daily basis yeah and and, and there's a lot of like utopian thinking that i think is kind of unrealistic because it just like places the blame on whoever you're not yeah. whoever's <laughs> outside of your thing is, yeah. is who the blame is on and and like i don't know the fact of life is that like Things are unfair. Some people have more things than other people do. And and that doesn't mean that they're jerks. Some of them are fine people. Some of them are jerks. Vice versa. People have less. Some of them are jerks. Some of them are people. But being among a mix of lots of different people and having that be your reality, I don't know, it it seems to like foster. Yeah. It oddly, and maybe, again, this is me being naive, Like, and I was just oblivious to some things that were going on, but like, I, I definitely remember... Um, having friends who like lived in the subsidized housing, which I didn't, I didn't know what that meant at the mm-hmm. time, but they lived in the apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that was awesome because, you know, like su- several kids lived in the apartment complex. So to me, it was like, you get to live with your friends. You right. just get to like go downstairs and they're there. And then also having friends who lived in like million dollar mansions and like going to their house and there being a drawer full of cash just in case you need anything. Yeah. <laughs> like just those, you know, like, and we would just go. Bo- between back and forth those experiences like it was not a big deal because it wasn't you know it was just sort of like and we're all we all go to the same school we're all friends like it didn't you know and I I I think um (laughs) and maybe this didn't serve me well because I think it sort of I didn't have a, a a solid grasp of like financial situations then like leaving uh, Columbia and going to college because I was just sort of like you know you know every every people have different stuff but like it's all going to be fine mm-hmm. you know and then not realizing like um, where I fell into that you know and sort of being like am I rich I don't know mm-hmm. yes no <laughs> like no you're not rich mm-hmm. but like you feel like you have access to this wealth because you know you you have friends who are really wealthy and but you also have friends over here and like you know, it's so you feel like you have access to both of these worlds and not really understanding, you know, what that meant entirely. Yeah, this is definitely naive, but like I think about like what wealth means sometimes, um, and I like obviously, you know, those with more money and those with more belongings are wealthier people. But how much of mm. that is just the mental security of knowing that you don't have to stress about? 
your resources. Because you meet people sometimes, and they're rare, but when you meet them, they make an indelible impression on you because they just like manage their own the little bit that they may have, they mm. manage so well that they seem like they're full of wealth mm-hmm. and health and good cheer. And they just seem to be somehow like living well. Yeah. It, I, I, even if there's a lot of money to back that up. Yeah. I, and, and then there's people with tons of money who are just like completely empty, vapid. Don't know what to do with themselves. Don't know what to do with themselves. Unable, seem like they're not really taking in everything that's around them and, mm. and, and you look at them and this is, I know super naive, but like, are they wealthy? They have a shitload of money in the bank. Their future is secure, but that seems like a pretty poor life to me. Yeah. I would argue. No, I, in fact, I think true wealth is, um, you know, having people who love you. Yeah. <laughs> having a lot of people who you love and who love you, like having a lot, having a rich life in that way. Yeah. Um, I consider myself right now very wealthy. I feel very lucky. Um, I don't have a ton of money. Um, don't get me wrong. I like there was certainly a period of time where I was like, I don't care about money. I'm an idealist, and then I was like, oh, let's put a pause on that. Yeah, right. I appreciate what money does for you, um, but I do still think that true wealth is like the relationships that you hold in your life, um, because that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing that matters is yeah. your, your your relationships and the people that you care about. Well, I mean, how much stuff do we get? How, how much do we lose the little bit of wealth that is actually in our grasp right now mm. because our expectations get in the way mm. and we expect more or deserve more or 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 look at other people and 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 become irritable that they have more than I have and that's unfair and whatnot and like really when you boil it down in terms of like the necessities to just kind of be balanced and present and alive it, it is food. Mm. And uh, sex is probably pretty useful, mm. and a place to call your own that mm-hmm. you can that you can rest your heels mm-hmm. and warmth, and uh, people who love you and people who you love in return, and that pretty much covers yeah. like a balanced lifestyle. The rest is just kind of like excess so- sauce, yeah. and it's not a bad sauce, and and you know it's cool to have it, but but if you look at like what you really need to 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 just kind of feel. Like you're living well, yeah. And that, to me, I think that's that's what I'm striving for. Striving for. That's there's actually a number. Uh, some economist I think came up, and I'm going to make up statistics now. Um, <laughs> but I read an article <laughs> at some point in time in the past, um, and it talked about there is a number that's like this is where if you make this much money, this is the sweet spot. If you yeah. make anything over this, you're just as stressed as if you make anything under this. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so that I also want to back up to say that like money buys opportunity, it mm-hmm. buys opportunity and it buys choice. Um, that's not to be undervalued. Uh, I, I appreciate again, like the reason why I w- go wake up and go to work every day is because I need money to, you know, keep this roof and uh, feed myself. And if I had a ton of money, I could choose to not do that. <laughs> like I could choose to do whatever I want when I wake up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, and I don't know, it would, I guess, be nice to not ever have to worry about money, but I don't know that again, like no matter how much money you make, you're still worried about it to some degree. And this was what the article was talking about. Like you could, billionaires are worried about their money, Yeah, you know, like even though they don't like not in the same way that you are, but they are, they're worried about their wealth. Like obviously they're not 
worried about it in a like, will I be able to eat today kind of way, but they're still anxious and stressed about it. So like, you know, yeah, just find that spot where it's like, I, you know, everything that I need is taken care of and then enjoy life instead. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, for me personally, I'm not like totally socialist. Mm. I, I like, I'm not naive enough to suggest that like, I just do with a little bit of money that you have. It's easy for me to speak from a fairly privileged position that I have mm. an apartment and I have someone who, who loves me and, mm-hmm. and I love in return and I have food on my plate. And so it's easy for me to say that. But I also think that like a little bit of greed is not a bad thing for a person. Mm. A little bit of like a hungry eye is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Nice things are nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And options are nice too. It's like like really great. Uh, um, But yeah, it's totally that thing of like how much begins dulling. I guess that's what it comes back down to me. How much begins dulling your perceptions mm. too little of and and you're just dulled by hunger and yeah. dulled by the need to survive another yeah. day and too much i i think you you miss on what's in front of your face you miss yeah. on, on well, it's like the curse of the rich right they all go crazy like yeah yeah well i mean it, it's it's that thing of like rich people's children are like yeah. invariably invariably like messed up yeah. people or 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 you know 10 points below on the iq scale or whatever just because you have all those so many needs are taken care of that yeah that you don't really need to pay attention too much. Yeah, that part of you that fights to survive doesn't develop yeah. the way that it should, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it probably, I mean, again, like there is that number out there, but I, I think it probably depends on um, depends on the person, like how much is too much. Because, you know, I, yeah, I, I, again, feel very fortunate right now um, but I also, you know, nice things are nice. I like fancy things. I like fancy foods. Mm-hmm. Like I could definitely, uh, appreciate wanting more, you know, uh, even though I'm obviously very fortunate. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, that's a tough, uh, line to draw on the stand. I, I, I suspect it's when you start, um, valuing, uh, the, the the wealth over the experience yeah maybe is yeah. when things start to get tricky when you're you're just concerned about getting the newest nicest and or doing the bestest or having the fanciest and not actually present at whatever the thing is or you don't know how to use them well like yeah. wealth if you're not like buying stuff or buying experiences you can have a trillion dollars but it's all just abstraction yeah and you can kind of not that I'm meeting wealthy people all the time but but you meet people sometimes who there's something kind of like vacant in oh, yeah. in, in their in their aura. There, there there's an abstraction in place of a soul there, mm. and, and you kind of have the sense that like you're not entirely Present. here. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not you're not perceiving. I'll keep on coming back to that word. Your 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 mind is like scattered elsewhere. In, yeah. in, in the you're in the cloud somewhere. I call that uh, that. They're not. Then my nickname for that is "You're not a real person." Yeah, I, I'll like talk to people and then turn back to Andy and be like, "They're not a real person." Don't yeah. talk. To I, I get that, yeah. I, and I, 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 I am with you on that yeah. one. Yeah, I forget who said it, but but there's like one school of thought about the human soul that says you're not born with a soul. Hmm. You, you you are born with the potential for a soul, and you have to earn it through. Wow, actions. I've never heard this. Your job is to create your soul over over a life. Huh. through your experience and through the way that you cope with things and through the way that you treat others and through the way that you treat yourself and through the way that you learn from mistakes and through, and you progressively create a soul. So at the end of your life, you have built this thing for yourself. 
Oh, that's lovely. And then those there are people who, in place of a soul, they have numbers and yeah. and, and there's just that thing. It doesn't feel like there's a person. There. Yeah. Um. Uh. Oh man, where was it going with this? I had a thought behind it, and now the thought is gone. No, no, no. So this is a perfectly good thought. <laughs> uh. Um. But oh yeah, oh, yeah. But but that being said, I also like you meet people who who have money sometimes or, or, mm. or people who buy fancy things yeah who do it well oh yeah and that's something I, I appreciate it's far removed from my own personality but i appreciate it when you meet someone who's like doing it well yeah uh, it's impressive it's impressive yeah. and, and and you know that like oh that's a wealthy person and it's not just the money that they have but it's their ability to turn that money into a good experience yeah or, or a, a you know good thing that is useful there's just more voltage coming off of them yeah. you, you know that there's like life this is all this is all being fed into like more life is coming off of this person yeah. the, the bulb is more incandescent yeah and and you know people who have style like that uh, where you kind of like oh i don't resent i don't know i i don't resent your wealth or i don't resent your lifestyle or it's like man, you're doing it well yeah you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're making it your own you're, yeah. you're weaving it into this larger thing that you're creating yeah it's just, I guess, like, yeah, it, it, and so it's not really a question of, like, well, how much money a person has. Yeah. It, it's more a question of, like... How well are you doing it? Yeah, are you a jerk or are you not a jerk? Yeah. I, I, I guess that's kind of... Like, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how it boils down simply to that, like, ah, I just, are you an asshole? That's the, that's the bottom line. I feel like I keep on learning this lesson over and over in my really? life is, is, like, reminders of, like, oh, don't be a jerk. Oh. Because it's so easy to, to begin, like, veering... Yeah. You got to like calibrate to not be a jerk. It's so easy to veer into jerk territory and not notice yourself doing it. Yeah. And you, gotta, and, you and that largely comes from meeting other people and talking to other people to keep yourself from becoming a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, what's one of my new mantras. Um, and again, I, and not to blame New York because that feels rude, but like, uh, I do, I have noticed how it's changed, uh, me in some ways. And I, you know, you have to be, sharp you have to be sharp to a certain degree because there's so much going on yeah um and sharp can sometimes feel not nice spiky feel spiky yes so i have this new mantra which is just be nice yeah like whenever i'm in like whenever i can hear it in the tone of my voice or am already starting to think something it's just like just be nice just be nice yeah just be nice yeah it's not hard (laughs) uh it, it is hard sometimes. <laughs> it is actually, yeah. yeah. It is so, hard sometimes. Sometimes it's very hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah you do. You, you, like, absorb that spiky energy sometimes, yeah. and it's really hard to, like, smooth those edges and, and, and oh, man. bring some warmth to it. Especially in the, when it gets warm here, oh, it, yeah. it people get really hot. Yes. And it is hard to not absorb that energy. New York is an interesting place because there's all the vertical aspiration. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's just like a testament to the human ego in this city of mm. of of uh, upwards and onwards. Mm-hmm. And then down here on the horizontal plane are all of us getting in each other's way and being <laughs> irritable with each other. Mm. And kind of at its best, you learn this kind of – you can be like graceful in the way that you move through crowds of people mm-hmm. at its best there's kind of like a like a little dance that we're all synced into mm-hmm. but then at its worst it's just this edgy 
It's people who are in your way. Yeah. And you're surrounded by monuments that are basically looking down on you and just yeah. reinforcing <laughs> the fact that, that you are less than. Yeah. It's kind of how it feels. New York is really... I, I, it's, it's, it's a, a very place. intense it's a very yeah. intense place but I love it I yeah. do actually in going back to uh, when I first moved and I was like eh, I don't have anything else better to do um, now I love it yeah. I love New York I never would have thought that I would love it um, I, like when I'd come to visit a few times before moving you know when my friends had moved I was like eh you know like it's it's loud and like you know I, I was just sort of like I don't get it like whatever um, but now now I love it I really it challenges you on uh daily basis um in good ways and in bad and it's just like you have you feel like you're in the center of the world like you have everything you need like it's yeah i love i love new york you work at sesame street i do uh how'd that happen Oh, uh, you're, you're part of like the Sesame Street Mafia, right? There's like, <laughs> yes, there is. There's like a whole bunch of small of magnet like Sesame Sarah Mafia. Sarah Rebar and mm-hmm. Onye and Kyle and, and, Kyle and Cobbs for a while. Uh, yeah, Andrea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we are always trying to like get more people like, oh, take classes with Magnet. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? I uh, so when I moved to New York, I was working at a coffee shop um, uh, for a while, and then I started like interning and like trying to pick up because I went to school for production for TV production. Mm-hmm trying to pick up, like, uh, anything that I could, because I was like, I don't know anyone, so I just need to start trying to, like... I did doing all kinds of odd jobs in production, and then um, I started working with this uh, one company called Pickerel Pie out in Long Island City, and they're awesome. Um, And uh, a woman who worked with them, uh, Emily Cohen, who's also super awesome, um, works at Sesame occasionally. And so since I was doing lots of uh, work with them and she heard about this job opening at Sesame, I was like, hey, I think, you know, if you want to apply, you maybe, you know, and like, so she sent me um, or sent my resume or like, you know, to the the person who was hiring. Um, And that's, yeah, that's it. That's how I got in. And Sesame also is a little bit like the mob. It's like once you're in your family kind of deal. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to get out. Um, And so I've been there almost seven years now congratulations which is a terrifying thing to say that's got to be wrong what year is it i know maybe that's right um do you find sorry to sidetrack do you hmm. find that after the year 2001 all years begin to just kind of blend together (laughs) yes pretty much pretty i mean i have a horrible memory anyway but yeah yeah, i definitely am like i don't know what year is it how long has this been happening i don't yeah i don't have any like tally for anything anymore i have no sense of like the distance in time of how it's just like all 2001 to now is just one big (laughs) like has it been a decade i know it's been over a decade oh has it? i wonder if that's our age um, I wonder maybe. if that's being grown ups and and finally hitting like what your parents tell you that like it moves by fast. Yeah. Or, and, or I wonder if it's the era that we live in where time itself seems to mm. kind of be like warped a little bit because it definitely does. I, I like frequently find myself waking up going like, "Holy cow! It's been it's been a decade." Yeah. Holy cow! I can't. Oh yeah, yeah. That actually is really crazy to think about. I um. Like it's been a decade since I moved to New York. I've been in New York for ten years. Congratulations. Yeah. Which I, which feels crazy. Yeah. Um, really feels crazy. Actually, <laughs> about it. I, I want to think maybe it's just getting older and, and that, you know, younger people are, everything does still feel like, oh my God, this is the end of the world and it's yeah, yeah. forever. Um, and I think that, you know, the more experiences you rack up, the more you're like, oh, this isn't forever. Yeah. <laughs> I know now I've, I've experienced forever a few times. <laughs> um, 
So yeah. So seven years at, at yeah, Sesame Yeah, seven years at Sesame. Were you, was that like a really meaningful thing for you when you got that job? Or were you a Sesame Street person? Um, no. Yeah, that's okay. I know. <laughs> I feel there's so many people who are that they, work in the they, company. Is that going to get you in trouble when somebody um, hears no, that? No, they know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, there, and if they don't know, I then no one's been paying attention. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I, what I wanted when I started working at Sesame, uh, what I was really attracted to, um, was, uh, well, one, it was a full-time job Hmm. with benefits, which was something I'd never had before. And it was like a lifeboat, um, at the time. And then also, uh, I wanted to, you know, like, and this is something that I'm still striving towards, like to create media that has, uh, that affects positive change. Like, yeah. and that's literally what Sesame was created for. Um, so it felt like a good fit. I was like, Oh yeah, this is, I can feel good about, cause I'd worked on other, a few other shows like, and you know, production is, production can be amazing. It can also be horrible. Mm. Um, and I had had some bad experiences. And so it like finally got to a place where I was like, Oh, these people are nice. Okay. This is great. I'm going to like just stay here for as long as I can. Um, and then it, and it also sort of allowed me the the time and space to figure out exactly what it was that I wanted to do in production, because um, I I think I don't you know I'd always been like yeah I want to make stuff but I didn't know exactly how I wanted to make stuff yeah so um, it helped me figure that out cool how now uh, um, here's where the conversation gets heavy. Oh, uh-oh. And controversial. Okay. I want to talk about making media that has a positive impact on the world. Yeah. And all the stuff that's been going on in the world of improv and comedy recently. Okay. I think is kind of giving everybody pause for thought. Okay. Um, uh, there is a, a, a fairly profound awareness of the lack of inclusiveness in, in the voice of improvisation mm. and... and and I think some pretty fair charges of, of improv speaking to certain spiritual philosophies or speaking to certain ways of treating each other with respect that aren't always reflected in the product that's being put on stage. Mm-hmm. So how, I, I don't know that there's an answer to this, but this has been on my <laughs> mind a lot recently. Okay. How do we as comedians who are making a bunch of shit up yeah. create material in the moment that serves a higher, better purpose. Ooh, um, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot with this. I hate <laughs> doing it. But as a, as a member of the cast, which is an amazing show that oh, happens you, to yeah. be all women, yeah. uh, um, I, I hate to lump you into where now you have to represent all voices and yeah. all women, and, and I hate doing that. But I think it's also important that like we as improvisers put our money where our mouth is, and if we're going to preach... Yeah. If we're going to preach doing something and purport to have higher goals and higher values with yeah. it, I, I, I think it's important that we be conscious of like what exactly are we creating in the moment and how is it serving a better, how are we contributing to good in the world and not just hmm. more crap? Well, I think um, that's a tough question. I, Sorry. That's okay. I think um, in general, the consciousness is being raised. Mm-hmm. I th- I think we have the internet to thank for that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? um, Just being exposed to different, you know, which is what the internet does to some degree. Um, So how do you, you know, I I think as an improviser, you, you are always sort of speaking from, or 
ideally you're always speaking from a true space, you mm-hmm. know, like when you're coming up with something in the moment, you know, you're, um, it all, you're pulling from yourself. Uh, so I think the best thing that you can do to try and, um, uh, create things that are helpful is to, you know, keep yourself in the most helpful place. And by that, I mean like keeping yourself educated, keeping yourself challenged. Like, you know, I, I, being a woman of color, um, you know, feel like I obviously have a different perspective of the world mm-hmm. um, than, uh, I mean, everyone has their own perspective of the world in general, but being a woman of color specifically, I have a, a different experience than a white man would. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's important to just try and have experiences outside of, you know, your own like and that's not to say that i i'm also because I, I feel like i still have times where i'm like oh i i need to uh <laughs> check myself in this way like i did not realize that this experience that i've always sort of assumed was like the true experience is not for everyone mm-hmm. you know like and so i think uh that's yeah like that the best way to to create things to create improv that is sort of it's challenging or uh, trying to you know uh, force a conversation or have a conversation or, you know, get deeper into a conversation about something in a way is to just keep yourself educated and challenged in that way. Does yeah. that make sense? I don't I, know. I, it okay. does. I love that answer too. Um, yeah. I, I, because so, so much of that conversation seems to boil down to, um, uh, how do we create new techniques of improvising or how do we limit, you know, and put the kibosh on certain things that are now like off, off the table. We can't improvise that. Mm. But, but I love that, that choice of the more you are educated and the more yeah. you know, the less crap you're willing to take yeah. or the less passive you're willing to be. Yeah. Because then you just apply your intelligence and you apply your experience to, to whatever's thrown your way. Yeah. I, I, and, and I mean, to me, that's the utopia is, is, each of us going out of our way to learn to be smarter and, and not only like accumulate more facts, but to learn like actual intelligence, to learn how to like decode and process and yeah. communicate facts. This goes back to that thing of like the miracle of communicating with each other, because like it makes sense that you would take for granted that your experience of the world is the world yeah. in a way it is. It is your world. It, you yeah. you are the governor of your own mm. private universe, and it, your universe looks an awful lot like most other people's universes. But it also most other people you know, most other people that you <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. You, you get further and further outside of outside of your of your environment, and yeah. then people have much different universes. But every individual person is is processing and creating in their own mind a universe that's kind of unique to their experience. Mm-hmm. So in a way. That is the whole world. Mm-hmm. What you see is the whole world. That's what makes our ability to bridge those worlds with each other the most amazing miracle of all time. Yeah. And and when you can get somebody to understand that it's okay that they sip your beer, it, it, it's <laughs> a huge victory. Yeah. Because it really does sort of feel like contact has just happened between two different universes. Yeah. You and the universe next door have just encountered each other. Yeah. Uh, um, I love that. When it's like, oh, we are in the exact same place right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, we're, for me, I experience that as we're perceiving the same thing. Yeah. It's that moment when, like, somebody does something crazy in a room and nobody seems to notice, but then you and one other person make eye contact. Oh, I and you, love that. And then you just know that, like, this is my person. Yeah. This is where we're, 
on the same wavelength. Yeah. We're friends there. And it's totally just that feeling of like somewhere your universe and my universe, uh, there's a room. Have just matched up. Then they just matched up and yeah. I, can, I can visit your universe now. And it's a really wonderful thing. Yeah. I love that. Especially I've had that happen on the train where you like have that moment and yeah. it's like just brief and or even just all your little daily interactions where you like catch someone's eye and it's like, oh, there's your true self. Yeah. We just had a little moment. Um, I, that's like, like gives me life every day because I, because I feel like the other thing that I've experienced maybe way more is talking to someone and, you know, and they're talking, talking, talking. And all I can think is we're not having the same experience right now. (laughs) And you don't realize that. And I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not sorry. I don't, you know, but like having that moment of being like, Oh, you're just, we're not having the same experience right now. Um, it's draining yeah. too when that happens. Yeah. And and like it's not necessarily always on the other person. It's not necessarily on you either. Yeah. It, it's just like we're forces as well as as physical beings. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and and there's a force field that extends uh, uh that we travel through and sometimes those forces combine in a force field that's like harmonious and there's a, a fairly mm. even exchange of energies and sometimes it's just kind of like those wavelengths feel like they kind of neutralize each other mm. and it's exhausting mm. when you realize that you're not communicating with someone. It actually feels like it's taking power. Oh, well, I shut down. You. That's yeah. I, that my, it's my defense mechanism is to immediately be like, and turning off. I <laughs> you you, you kind of have to. And, yeah. and there's some people it's, uh, it's interesting. I, this is all obviously like metaphor. I don't th- mm. think there's any real science behind it, but I don't know. Mm. Hey, if you're listening and you're a scientist and there's any real <laughs> science behind this, please send us a message. Let us know. We'd love to find out. You can contact <laughs> us through the magnet theater website. Uh, um, but like, if you think of it as like an energy field, and there's different energetic forces traveling through that field, mm-hmm. then there are certain people who seem to be a kind of life form that have evolved to feed off of that field, and there's mm-hmm. certain people who kind of thrive on like, oh, we're in a communication jam right now, mm-hmm. and that makes them angry and fighty and more powerful somehow. It mm-hmm. seems like they're just like sucking the energy out of this ener- out of this communication jam mm-hmm. to like give themselves the momentum to go move on and, and mm-hmm. deal with somebody else. I don't know. Maybe that's a bitter perception of the world. <laughs> hey, I was like, I think you're describing a narcissist. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah, uh, um, <laughs> yeah maybe. I don't know. <laughs> if you find yourself in a conversation with a narcissist, turn off. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> narcissism is is a tricky thing, isn't it? It, it is because like it, it narcissists are sort of like werewolves in that sense hmm. that like it can be latent. Like a narcissist is not always oh, an what? unmanageable person. Am I a narcissist? Is well, <laughs> but there is. I mean, it, 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 if I'm getting my science right, again, any scientist listening, please <laughs> let us know. I think like there is such a thing as a healthy amount of narcissism. Hmm. It, people who lack all narcissism. I, I think lack certain survival skills, at least mm. like social survival skills. It, it, there, there's a certain degree in which narcissism is just enough self-love to keep you integrated and whole as a person. Mm. You need to have those like boundaries. Those are important things. Yeah, it's just one that reaches like beyond critical mass, where there's just like no room for other human beings in this universe. You yeah. have to like govern and control every other human being. Then it tips over into like, okay, that's a problematic thing that's a that's a whatever how how do we get on this topic i don't know i don't know either what were we talking about before let's go back to the cast okay which is just killing the saturday run oh i thank you how's that show going um it's going great it's honestly 
Uh, I felt very uh, nervous yeah. signing up to do it because um, I, I, you know, I don't have as much experience as the other ladies, um, and uh, you know, I think it took me like a solid. Uh, like four or five months to stop apologizing every time. Like, I'm so bad at this. And so mm-hmm. like, just stop and just keep, just be here and yeah. doing it. Yeah. Um, and it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Like our rehearsals are just as much fun as the shows are, to be totally honest. Like it, I feel like it just feels like playing. You're just, and I think that that's what makes, I think that's what people are connected to you know I feel like that's why people enjoy the shows because it's just literally us being ridiculous and enjoying each other's company like which I don't know maybe this sounds gross but like you know it it really is just like what do you want to you know like we all just get very silly and like every show backstage like as you know right before we're all just like like just being really silly um with each other and I feel like that always just like feeds the you know like trying to create that energy for it's like we're just gonna have fun yeah and that's it like this this is not about impressing or like i mean and we're very grateful to have an audience but it's not you know what i mean it's like it's not about like uh, uh, somebody performing or like being a star by any means it just always feels like we're we're just gonna have fun hope this works yeah. like that's every time or at least that's how it feels for me like every time it's just hope this works. Let's let's have fun anyway. I can tell you what what students in my classes recently have been saying about the show. Yeah. The main thing people seem to be digging about it is the fearlessness to it. Fearlessness. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that, that's been a word that's come up a bunch of times in classes. Really? People, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It, it, not only in the way that you all play, but also in the way that you all throw yourself into these new challenges every week and, oh, yeah. and do something that that like okay we're going to own an experimental piece this week we're going to own uh, not hamilton the musical this week we're <laughs> yeah. going we're going to own a shakespearean piece this yeah. week which is it's easy enough as an improviser to become very good and then to simply do the things that you're very good at mm. And avoid the things that you're not very good at, and 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 it, it sort of has a similar thing to like not traveling to new countries anymore, mm. or or not leaving your home, or not reading new books, or talking to new people. You just do what works, yeah. Until eventually, you see performers who seem they're very good, but they seem to be lacking something. There's mm. a there's a there's a changeling that's gotten in there somehow. <laughs> I like this analogy. I kind of like yeah. it. Too. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and and with the cast, the the. The number one thing my students have been saying is that thing of it just it feels like you are all risking something new every time you're doing it. Yeah, it feels like we are too. I think. Yeah, which makes for like it's invigorating. Yeah, it's fun. fun. Yeah, it's like, and and honestly, I feel like now this is the only way that I know how to do improv. So I feel (laughs) very fortunate that it's just like ah, this is this is what you do every time, right? Um, I. I think we've gotten really good, though, at um, cramming. You know, our rehearsals are always cramming for whatever the genre is. And it's the day before. We rehearse on Fridays and shows on Saturday. And so every Friday, it'll, you know, it will be like, okay, what is it? Shakespearean and Hannah's an amazing director. She always does tons of research so that we, she comes to the rehearsal and is like, okay, these are the, you know, tropes of this genre you know, these are the things I think we should hit. And then we'll like all, well, is, you know, how much of this feels like public knowledge, like, or how much of it is super specific? Like, what do we think is actually going to play well? Um, and then we'll do some type of exercise that sort of has us practicing those things. Like, um, 
I'm trying to think of it. Like the for uh, Shakespearean, we practiced uh, metaphors. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's give, practice giving you know metaphors with each other, or like that kind of thing. Or um, with you know wrestling, we did a lot of uh, physical. Nick helped. Nick Canales helped us out, and he's amazing uh, physical instructor and so he taught us like all these different moves and we and taught us all because none of us knew very much about wwe or like uh wrestling and so it was like you know this is so that rehearsal was like okay there's always a heel and a hero and you know there's a lots of chit-talking and then this usually happened you know like just covering what are the things we need to hit in order for this to read um and then so sometimes i will say i feel like our Less successful shows are the shows where we get too caught up in the genre, mm-hmm. um, and then we sort of get tangled in it, and we're like trying too hard to make it the specific thing, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. sort of lose the improv a little bit. Um, so yeah, but it, yeah, it's it's so much fun. Like I I, I still always get a little nervous, um, but I it, but not nearly you know as much as I, I did initially now it just really feels like whatever it's like the feelings are like we're just gonna have fun and yeah. like it's fine in a best case scenario and mm-hmm. in a really good show what how do you use the limitations of the genre like so so if in, in one of the worst shows you get too wrapped up in it yeah and it kind of chokes the the fun yeah what what is that genre what is that limit giving you in a in a really good show that's propelling you forward into into a, uh, an invigorating experience? Um, I think it's giving us uh, a context, like a frame. So like, so long as the, you know, a big frame is good, I think. So then once we're sort of like in the space and, and creating something, and then if one person, it, so it's, maybe it's like, a, it's like a moving painting. And so like if uh, you have a sort of an, an understanding, I don't know if this is gonna, <laughs> analogy is gonna work. We have an understanding of like, you know, what the frame is supposed to look like, but then we're all, you know, moving in, you know, in different directions. And then at some point, if, you know, we all sort of pose into the perfect uh, way and then there is this frame that we've already set behind it, then it looks, it's like the perfect picture where you're like, ah, oh, we nailed it, you Mm -hmm. know, like. Versus if there's, if the picture already has, if it's like paint by numbers right. and we're all trying too hard to like get our form into the, you know, our predetermined image, yeah. then it, it feels like, well, now we're not hitting it because we're, we're focused too hard on trying to make sure that we line up with whatever the, you know, image that we think we're supposed to be creating is. So, yeah, I think it's maybe the genre when it works well, it's just giving us the frame and not the picture that, and we create the picture and then once it. When it works, it works really well. That's a great simile. <laughs> uh, one last uh, thing before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are married to Andy Mills. I am. Uh, tell me three things that you love about Andy Mills. Oh, man. Only three. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Smart answer. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I love um, that he's really smart. Um, he uh, reads reads a lot he challenges himself a lot um he like strives to educate himself on a regular like daily basis like he's always trying to learn something new and I find that so impressive he'll teach himself things like he it's just he'll pick things up quickly like he just he's very smart he's very good at, and he always wants to learn and I think that's very attractive um he is very funny in a very weird way. I think you sort of, you need to know him to really appreciate his sense of humor. 
Um, but once you do, and like he does, like I don't know if, how everyone is familiar with Andy's uh, Coldplay joke. It's been like this. <laughs> like, this is like a joke that's like four years in the making. Um, and essentially, the joke is that Andy really loves Coldplay. <laughs> Maybe he does actually really love Coldplay, but they, like, it's just been this, like, he's been trying to troll Coldplay fans for, like, no reason for, like, the last four years, which I find hilarious. Um, and, like, oh, but honestly, still, though, I'm never, i like, not sure if he does actually enjoy Coldplay or if he's just been doing this That's for so long. Amazing. Um, let's see what else. Um, and he's very loving. He's super, super loving. Like, he, he... Once, you know, like you're, uh, he, he's also uh, maybe a, an introvert. Like it, it takes him a while to get comfortable with people and to get to know people. But uh, once you, you get to know him, he loves you. He loves you. And, and that's like completely, he's very loyal. He's very affectionate. He's very, a thousand percent going to give himself to you. That's very beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry yeah. Cole, you are the wealthiest ah, person I know. Thank, thank you for you. talking. Thank you so much for having me. And this is amazing. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. A couple of other big thank yous. First, to our producer, Evan Ford Barden. Second, to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg. Woo-hoo. Third, to our executive producer, Ed Herbsman. Woo-hoo. And all the good, wonderful folk here in New York City. We love you. Uh, this has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a positive shout-out on iTunes or whatever other platform you're using iTunes works for me uh, and check out all the great things going on at magnettheater.com you can see Jerry Cole performing with the cast on Saturday nights at 10.30pm indefinitely here at the <laughs> Magnet Theater it is an open run please come check it out the show is amazing Jerry Cole once again thanks very much Jerry. thank you thanks everyone bye friends bye. <laughs> bye you've been listening to the Magnet Podcast This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.